if you don't know me, my name is Adrian. I'll be kind of taking us through this next bit. Before we get into uh, the series we're in entitled uh, Building Culture, I just wanted to make a brief comment. Uh, just I know some of us here were here yesterday uh, as we had the privilege of hosting the first Catalyst for the Workplace event uh, on behalf of the family of churches we're part of called Catalyst, in which what we were trying to do is just simply bring a sense of value to people in what they do in their workplaces or in seeking work, uh, and also a sense of encouragement of what you do matters, and it is part of God's plan in redeeming and renewing everything. And we just had a great day. Thanks for those who came. Thank you for all who've been praying for it. I think as a first one, uh, we couldn't have hoped for more. And so it's a great day, uh, and just wanted to feed that back, because it's something I know we've been owning as a church, and I think something that uh, really blessed many, many people. The feedback uh, we got uh, on the day was exceptionally positive. Obviously, there could have been others who left thinking this is the worst thing ever, but they didn't come and say that, so we'll pretend they never existed. <laughs> the only feedback we've had is that this was the best day ever. Uh, so thank you for being part of it. Thank you for doing the journey. This is great. But in terms of this point now, we're going to continue this series, which we've called Building Culture, as what we believe is as those who've centered our lives on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is that's going to change everything about who we are and what we do now. As not only does it transform the sense of where we're going, uh, one day we'll finally be with him forever, but also it puts us not only in relationship with him, but within the realm that's known as his kingdom. In other words, that we get to live under Jesus' rule and reign. And what we've said then is if we're living under his rule and reign, surely there's kind of a culture that is revealed through that. Surely there's some attributes of what it looks like to live under his rule and reign. And so what we've been doing is week in, week out, is looking at different ones of these attributes. And today, I want to look at the attribute of joy and how we build a culture both in here as Oasis, but also outside as we're scattered into the unique environments we're in, our workplaces, our recovery programs, our educational structures, uh, our elocution lessons, um, and the communities we live in, the homes we live in, the shops we shop at, and the culture we get to build there. And we'll look at this whole area of joy. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's this sense where actually even the word joy can immediately bring a different taste to our mouths because our experience of what that looks like can be twofold, I think, sometimes. I'm sure no one in here has ever done this, but it can sometimes be a little unreal. And so you can find people who say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then suddenly there's this need to kind of put on the mask of joy. And so you see someone and they're kind of moping around. And then suddenly they see someone coming near and they're like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Life's amazing. It's brilliant. I'm so full of joy. And there's something in it you think doesn't quite seem real. Or maybe that you hear about someone's life circumstances. I don't know, they're praying the car, the dog's just died, the dinner's burnt, they've just found out they've lost their job. And they go, oh, praise God anyway. And there's something in it that you think doesn't seem that real. And so joy can sometimes feel a little unreal. I think sometimes it can be unseen. I know for me, probably one of the most sobering moments of my life was when I was gathered with a number of believers where we kind of weren't meeting in a kind of venue that people would associate normally with Christians. Uh, now, most people don't associate cricket grounds with Christians. We've just come to think that's very normal. But um, we were in a pub, and so we'd hired a function room of a pub, and uh, we were worshipping away in the pub. And Another gentleman who was part of the other side of the pub, who wasn't in the function room, would have been drinking a different spirit, came in. And as he came in, he kind of thought, 
this sounds a bit all right. And it was like some music going on at the front. He thought, cool, this sounds good. And I was stood at the back and just watched him as he made his way to the front. And as he got to the front, he was reading the words. And then he couldn't help but start jumping around. And he started doing this. And it went on. And I thought, well, maybe he's going to stop. And he didn't. He just kept going. And then he was doing this. And he just kept going in. He was turning around to everyone else. Come on. And he's doing that. Then it got three songs in. And he still stood at the front, going for it, jumping around. He starts to die down. He makes his way to the back. I get to talk to him at that point. I say, well, it's been great having you here. Have you ever been to anything like this before? And he goes, oh, no, I've never been to anything like this before. He said, the thing is, does everyone who's in this room believe this stuff? Because he said, I read the words, and they seem pretty amazing. And then I heard the music, and I thought, you can't just stand here. You've got to jump around. This is amazing. He said, I don't believe it. If I don't believe it, and it makes this reaction me, what about everyone else in the room? Do they not believe it then as well? And in that moment, it was a sobering moment for me. As I suddenly realized, you've hit the nail on the head. Actually, sometimes there's this joy that we should be showing out of the reality of what we know, and yet we never show it. And so I had to turn to him and say, do you know what? We do, but maybe we need to show it a bit more. And maybe we've got to learn something from you who don't even know Jesus. And in it, we can be left thinking, well, joy then can be something that often is unreal or unseen, whereas actually what I want us to see is actually joy is meant to be something that is real, that is seen, that actually is something that's to sustain us, and something that is to transform not only us, but also the environments that we're in. And I'm hoping by the end of this time that actually we'll get to see that joy isn't something that we're manufacturing. It's rather something that is deep within us, like a reservoir that we get to drink from continuously. But before we get there, I just want to briefly, just quickly, define what do I mean by joy. Uh, the dictionary defines it like this. It says, joy is the deep feeling of happiness, contentment, delight, pleasure, as a result of something or someone. In other words, that joy is that, that sense of, wow, this is amazing, of that moment of thinking, everything seems okay of I am delighted in this. And what we can find is when we see that definition, sometimes we can be left thinking, well, joy then is something that is sporadic at best. But actually, if we're in reality of what life looks like, it's something that we, ha we happen to know momentary. Whereas what I want us to see is actually we get to know a joy that isn't in something, but is in someone. Isn't sometimes, but is actually a promise of continuous. Because what we're shown is in our centering our life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we get to know a joy, not just in the attributes of the kingdom that he reveals, but rather actually in the king. And I want us to see that actually the source of our joy is in the one that we've centered our whole lives on. And I'm hoping that as we get to see that the source is him, we'll then get to see how he then sustains us with joy. And that how then we get to live life showing joy. But to start us off, I just want to look at uh, the fact that we have a source of joy, which is Jesus. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter writes this to the churches uh, that he was looking to encourage. He says this, though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
Peter couldn't help himself but look at individuals who'd come to trust in who Jesus is in his life, death, and resurrection and be amazed at how it transformed their lives, of how they loved Jesus. More than that, how they were then filled with this immense sense of joy. You see, Peter had been in a privileged position. He'd actually seen Jesus. He'd known Jesus. He'd hung out with Jesus. He'd been someone who'd known Jesus' affirmation. At the very moment of him first, his first encounter of Jesus, of Jesus speaking from his boat, and then after kind of speaking from his boat, kind of getting to shore, and then calling Peter and saying, hey, come and join me. And Peter said, man, who am I? Totally broken. Someone who's full of sin. And Jesus says, I know, you're the kind of person I want to work through. He'd known Jesus' power by living with him over a three-year period and, and seeing Jesus perform miracles, seeing Jesus heal people, seeing people set free, of him calming storms. He'd seen Jesus not give up on him. Seen a moment where he'd been the only human being ever to walk on water and then suddenly start to drown and Jesus reach out and grab him and put him back in the boat. He'd known Jesus' care and support. He'd known Jesus' forgiveness at a moment where Jesus was at the end of his life, about to sacrifice everything for us. Peter had denied that he ever knew him. And then resurrected, Jesus immediately joins Peter and says, actually, I'm going to restore you now. I forgive you. Peter had been forever changed by Jesus. He'd seen who he was and he couldn't help but giving himself the proclamation of who Jesus is and how wonderful he was and is. So much so that you find that Peter gets to this point of having seen Jesus leave the planet, be with the Father, as she then receives the Spirit and can't help but then talk in many ways about who Jesus is. Peter had been utterly changed by who Jesus is and he'd seen him. What amazed him was then how it changed individuals who'd not seen Jesus face to face and yet knew him. And he gets to this point and writes to these bunch of believers who'd not seen Jesus face to face. Believers just like you and believers just like me. And he says, what is amazing is that though you've not seen him, you know him. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And more than that, just as you've loved him, you've then been filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. He says that's a defining character of who we are as believers. That inexpressible, in other words, you can't put words on it. You can't add in like, the joy that we get to know. It's so glorious, it's so beyond anything we know in the natural. And that joy is in who Jesus is. But the thing is, we, if we're not careful, like can forget that. And it's so important, and I think we need to take moments to remind ourselves to get perspective again of who Jesus is. See, Jesus is the joy giver. What I love about the accounts of the Gospels is they continuously reveal just how Jesus brings joy. So you find the very beginning of Jesus' life on earth. The angels arrive and they say, joy's come, because Jesus is here. That's their best summary they can give. Jesus has come, joy's come to the planet. You then find throughout Jesus' life, what he does is he brings joy. People who say they knew God said, actually, is he really bringing joy? Because he seems to hang out with people who shouldn't be near God. And yet Jesus hung out with people and drew them to who God is as Father and then partied with them. 
He was known as someone who was good to have at parties, who genuinely caused there to be parties. You only have to read accounts. Any tax collector, man, they must have been thinking, our days have come. Most unpopular people of the planet at that point get tax collectors. Jesus comes and says, hey, God wants even you. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. And actually, I'm going to come to your house and have a party. Invite all your friends. And people looked in and think, man, this is amazing. This is one who's come, who's turning the world upside down, who isn't trying to take people away and say, come on, be quiet and don't speak to anyone and remember how you behave, but rather someone who just comes and adds joy and partying in. That was his life. Then find out after his death, his resurrection. At the point at which he then leaves his, his followers and says, actually, now I leave you with this message of who I am. Go and tell everyone. It says, after he'd gone to be with the Father, they were what? They were filled with joy. Jesus is the joy giver. For the beginning of his life, the whole of his life, as he left the planet, what he left and deposited was joy. See, he's the one who is the image of the invisible God, that when we want to know what God looks like, we look at the accounts of Jesus, that he's the creator and sustainer of everything. He's the one who is actually eternal life. Eternal life isn't something that's out there to be wondered at, but rather is something that is revealed through who Jesus is. That the destiny that he now has is the same one that we now share. That he's one who's full of love and mercy. He's one who is powerful, who can calm stores, who can heal, who can free people. He's one who is sacrificial. One who's willing to lay down everything so we could gain everything. And he's one who's unbelievably generous. One who says, actually, you can now come and inherit everything that I inherit. You don't get just to be around and hang around me. You don't get to be a little groupie who gets a t-shirt that says, I'm with Jesus. No, you get to hang out with me and have everything that's mine. Jesus is pretty amazing. Peter says, our joy is in him who he is, but it's also what he's done. See, Jesus is one who's reconciled us, who's made it possible for us to be right with God. He's one who's given us peace, wholeness, so that finally we can think, actually, no, I'm not someone who's broken and um, trying to find this sense of wholeness. Actually, Jesus says, no, I've come to make you whole, in order that you can live free from guilt and shame. He's one who's come to give us hope, to know that this isn't how it's always going to be, that actually Jesus is going to renew everything. That he's one who's caused us to live a life that is governed eternally, forever, by love. In order that we can sing songs that say, those the seasons change, your love remains. That we can know that actually we're now living a life that is forever under his love. He's one who is redeeming and renewing everything. There is nothing in this universe that he is not going to renew. This is who Jesus is. This is the one that our source of joy is plugged into. One who is beyond our description. One who has done more than we could ever imagine. And we could think, well, surely that's pretty amazing. And to be honest, I can't get animated enough today to present you the wonder of who Jesus is. I can get quite excitable. I can get quite hands everywhere. I can jump around. To be honest, a little bit tired this morning or this afternoon. But the reality is, even me at the A of my game of energy level cannot cause you to fully comprehend the wonder of who Jesus is and how who he is and what he's done for us causes us to know such immeasurable joy. But it isn't just who he is and what he's done. It's also the fact that he is now with us. As Gary kind of encouraged us with within worship, that Jesus promised 
Matthew 28, that he will be with us now till we see him face to face. That it isn't that we have to live our lives thinking, right, this is me now. Adrian Hurst going to head down, plow in. No, no, it's a continual moment of both the perspective of who Jesus is and the invitation of saying, Jesus, would you come and dwell with me now in everything I'm doing today? Because that's what you're longing to do. That Jesus is literally there, continuously saying, hey, I'm waiting. I'm with you. Do you know it? What I love about Scripture is it talks about the deposit of the Holy Spirit in so many different ways. The Holy Spirit that is God. It actually says that the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus to know joy. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Jesus, who is God, knows joy because the Spirit's at work within him. And that same Spirit is at work within us. And that Spirit is causing us to know the presence of Jesus and also the joy of Jesus. And you can find it kind of interpreted in different ways, saying actually the, the Spirit's come in order that we'd know the love of the Father. The Spirit's come in order that we'd know adoption. The Spirit's come in order that we'd know what? The anointing of joy. And sometimes it doesn't even use anointing. It says oil of joy, which is another way of saying anointing. And it's this sense of that God is continuously longing for us to know that he's with us as our source of joy. See, when you begin to realize who Jesus is, what he's done for us, the fact that he now is wanting and longing to be involved in every intricate detail of our lives. It causes us to realize that Jesus, when he talked about the life he offers, told two stories. He told a story of a merchant, a merchant who knew what it was to search for jewels. It's says like a merchant who finds the best pearl that he could ever find. And in his joy of what he's found, he gives up everything else. He says it's like someone who is digging away in a field and suddenly stumbles across some treasure and thinks, man, I want this. So he sells up everything else because in his joy he wants to own the field and the treasure. When we fully understand the joy of what it is that we've got in Jesus, it causes us to realize that everything else pales into insignificance. It causes us to realize what joy we have, which means that it then transforms how we live our lives. Because joy then becomes something that sustains us. When we realize we've got this source of joy in Jesus, it sustains us regardless of circumstances. You see, I could like fake it and lie and say, right, well, now you know Jesus. Now you know who he is, what he's done, how he longs to be with you in every part of your life. Actually, that means you're going to know joy, that sense of contentment, a sense of happiness, the sense of um, delight, because your life is going to be amazing. You're just going to have the best stuff ever. Whenever you eat a meal, you think that's the best meal I've ever eaten. Best job ever. Nothing ever is going to happen to you that's ever going to harm you. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said he's going to be our joy regardless of circumstances. Which is why Romans 8 becomes something that we need to have embedded on our minds. Romans 8, 37 to 39, because it transforms everything about how we get to live in the nourishment that joy offers so Paul writes this, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, these verses are the key to joy are the key to living a life that is filled with joy. 
Because what it does is it brings reality. It says, stuff happens. That's the reality. Stuff happens. But when stuff happens, nothing will separate you from Christ. That's like amazing. But it's not like nothing will separate you from Christ. It's nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. It means that when stuff happens, we get to know joy. I think over the last two and a half years, I have felt more stretched than ever before in my life. And I've lived through different things. I remember, give context, first child when uh, she was born, I remember within six hours, it was a pretty epic entry to the world. Within six hours, we've been told that she had a hole in her heart and we need to get prepared for surgery. I remember when uh, second child born, I remember uh, finding ourselves in a ward at Children's Hospital, every other child had no hair, and them saying, there is something wrong with your son, and we need to try and figure it out. So I'd lived through those moments. Last two and a half years, I'd say, would be my biggest stretched moments. Stretched in terms of family, stretched in terms of friends, of what's been going on in their lives. And what I've known is this, that there have been moments where I've felt so stretched, it's like being like a piece of dough, that when you keep stretching out, you begin to think, man, there's, there's holes starting to appear. It's starting to be like the British Bake Off. And, man, if you stretch this anymore, you're going to break. And it's been moments like that. And in those moments like that, where you feel like, will I break? The what I've realized is that the reality is that's painful. Really painful. And there are moments where I've come to God and said, God, it feels so painful. And in those moments, it's not that I go, hooray, it's that I'm just weeping. But what I know is this, that in those moments of full stretch, of weeping through pain, that what I find is the source of my joy. Because what I get to see in that moment is, Jesus, you haven't changed. This is who you are. This is what you've done. And I get to invite you now into this place because I don't have to go alone. And in those moments, as I know Jesus with me, what I found is the tears turn from pain to joy. See, sometimes we can think, well, no, surely it's the tears turn to laughter. No, no, because that's often unreal, isn't it? That if I'm in this point of, God, I feel so at stretch, and I'm weeping, I think this is so painful. And it's like, oh, everything's bad. Everything's bad. That's not real. What I find is in that moment of the tears that I'm shedding is suddenly it's this point of thinking, no, Jesus, you're the joy. You're with me in this. And suddenly what feels like pain, I realize is joy. That God longs for us to be sustained like that. And I know at this season that for some within us as a community, this is where you're at. And it isn't at these points that there's the absence of joy. It's rather we get to dig deep and realize how present it is. Because God longs to sustain us by his joy. Now, for some of us, we're thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm at stretch. It doesn't matter. It still means that whatever we're doing, whatever our life is looking like, it means that from the moment we wake up, we have this perspective that we're asking. We're saying, Jesus, I come and I remember who you are, what you've done. And I invite you to come and journey with me throughout today. 
And I promise you, if you do that, it transforms everything about your day. It transforms the joy that you then live with through the day. I plead with you, just do it this, this week, just one day. That's all I'm asking for. The rest of the year, you can forget anything I've said. Just this year, this week, for one day, start your day saying, Jesus, I'm going to remember who you are. And remember who he is. Jesus, I want to be thankful for what you've done. And then from that start of the day, say, Jesus, I invite you, come with me today. And then throughout the day, use that little three-word phrase that we often use, pause throughout your day and remember who he is, what he's done, and invite him, center, to come with you as you continue. If you do it for a day, I promise you it will transform you. If it doesn't, come back to me, hit me hard, and say, you lied. And then we'll talk through why I think it should work. But you can do that. But please, just one day, that's all I'm asking for. See, because if we live this way, what it means is it's not only something that sustains us, it's also something that we then get to show. So we get to be those that show joy. I think this is the thing that amazes me if we flick to the next slide. That in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, Paul kind of reveals this wonder of what happens when you get hold of this source of joy, Jesus, regardless of the circumstances you're in, you then live sustained by this joy and then how it then causes you to live showing joy to every person you meet. And so what he does is he talks about this small group of believers in an area, uh, I've forgotten where they are, it begins with them, Some, Macedonia. I need someone to help me. So in Macedonia, and this bunch of believers in Macedonia, basically everything was against them. If you were to meet them, you'd think, man, your life sucks. Like, they were really poor in terms of wealth, poverty. Everyone was against them. Stuff was happening left, right, and center. And so if you like, if there was anyone who could lick their wounds and say, man, it is just tough, this is the group that could do that. And yet Paul kind of raises them up to the Corinthians, which for all intents and purposes were kind of like pretty going for it, but seemed to have quite a few holes within their community, um, and says this, the Macedonians, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. I love this. I love equations in the Bible. So if you like, this is an equation. It basically goes like this. Joy plus poverty equals generosity. I love that. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Surely it's joy plus wealth equals generosity. That's surely how it's meant to work, and yet it doesn't work like that. It means that for every single one of us that gets this point, if we realize, actually, the joy I now know in Jesus gets added into the poverty that is me, that I have nothing to really add to the equation, and when those two things get added together, the joy found in Jesus, poverty that's me, what it equals is generosity. Generosity in how I then get to live towards everyone and anyone generosity in how we get to live as a church towards one another, generosity of how we get to live as we're scattered outside the church into the different settings we've got been placed in. And that generosity then gets worked in these different areas, I think, a generosity in what we do. So let's be real for a moment. Last Friday, so literally 48 hours ago, the morning, I'm kind of feeling a little bit of pressure in terms of numbers of different tasks that I'm going on and everything that's sat on my plate. I'm realizing I'm about to just do a conference on the Monday, Saturday that I'm hosting, starting something new, blank sheet of paper, get excited about that, but also start to think, man, it better all come together. And so I get a bit tense. And so what happens is I hit Friday morning, and I think, okay, new equation. 
coffee plus my ability equals everything's going to be fine. That's in reality what I was thinking. Coffee plus my ability, everything will be fine. So get to the suite where I work upstairs. Andrew Gordon comes in. He doesn't mind me telling this story. I said I was going to share it. Way of public confession. Um, he comes in, very buoyant, says, hello, everyone. I turn up from the coffee and went, hi. Coffee. Andrew Gordon says, because he notices things about me, and even how I've just looked wasn't quite how I looked. And he says, you're very moody today. <laughs> now, at that point, I don't slam the kettle down. Could have done that. I say, oh, Yes. I think I perhaps am. <laughs> it's what I've realised that suddenly, coffee plus my ability equals moody Adrian. Not joy-filled Adrian. Someone who's ultimately destructive to other people. So what do I do at that point? Well, a little bit later I ask forgiveness. Why do I wait a bit? Well, because I just wanted Andrew to know that I was being real. I wasn't just trying to polish it up. But what I did then, at that point, is I thought, right, okay, coffee plus me isn't going to equal anything good. I need to get back joy plus me equals something good. So I then go for a walk around Cannell Park. And as I'm walking around Cannell Park, what I'm doing is I'm saying, Jesus, I remember who you are. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done. And Jesus, I'm so sorry I didn't invite you to be with me today, because I really need you. And you know what Jesus says at that point? He says, I've been waiting. <laughs> and then from that moment on, literally I can picture the point around Cannon Hill Park that I realised he's with me. Because why? Because one is he said he's going to be with me. I know that. Also his spirit's working within me, say, hey, I'm with you. And suddenly at that point, I can remember, you know that really shacked house just past there? You, you, those who know, you know where I mean. If you don't go over Cannon Hill Park, you'll see it. Literally just past there. And it's as though at that point, everything transforms. Suddenly, joy in Jesus plus poverty of Adrian equals generosity. Man, everyone I meet from that point, hello, how are you today? Isn't today amazing? What's changed? Jesus. See, it isn't about what we do, it's about how we do it. I often think if I was to imagine what Oasis is to be like, I want it to be like if there was a banquet going on with lots of different tables, that I want our table to be the one that everyone notices because they think, man, I want to be there because that's where the party is because I think that's what Jesus lived like. People couldn't help but think, I want to be on his table. And it isn't about us pretending to be something, it's about us knowing what we've got. That regardless of circumstances, we say, man, this is what I have. Therefore, this is how I'm going to live. So it's about what we do. But then lastly, I'd say it's about our time, our energy, and our money. Of saying, Jesus, the joy I have in you, with what I've got of who I am, I want to be generous in my time, my energy, and my money. That means that it's not begrudging. It means that in our work environments, education, in the houses we live in, what we're doing is saying, actually, I'm just going to give myself here. I'm going to use this time to help someone else. I'm going to say, actually, you go home early. I'm going to say, not so I can say, look at me, sacrificial lamb that I am. Just like the dear Lord Jesus laid down his life. I now love down mine for you. No, it's that we come and we say, <laughs> I want to do this for you. Because I want something of the joy that I know to just break out and spill onto you. 
So you don't owe me. This is a joy to do this. To give myself in this way for you. It means when it comes to not only our time and energy, our money. This is the one, isn't it? We don't talk lots about money in Oasis. It's because, to be honest, we're not that worried about it. Because God will also always provide. But what about if, rather than us feeling like we have to, we have this joy to. Jesus, what I've got in you. Plus what I've got. And this is what you've trusted me with. However little, however much. I now get to have this adventure of saying, Jesus... With you, everything I know, with everything I've got, I now get to say, man, how can I be as generous as possible with this? Because I just allow joy to spill out of me. Not because I'm going around and going, look at at this check, look at this check, look at the colour of this one, this note, oh, that's an orange one. Woo-hoo! It's not that. It's this joy and adventure of actually, you know what? I've just got this small bit of change, I'm going to use it. Use it to bring joy to someone. I'm going to use this to bring joy. Me and my kids and Luce, we had this adventure the other day. We went out for a meal. And rather than ordering drinks, what we did is we said, hey, let's use what we'd spend on drinks to be generous to the person who's waiting on us. We didn't do it so I could use it as a story. Please don't hear that. We did it because we suddenly thought, man, how can we have this adventure? Jesus, the joy we know, with, combined with us to then lead to generosity. I want to call us to give ourselves to building a culture that is revealing joy. And I ask three questions in terms of it. What do you need to do to live more in joy? What's the perspective that needs to change? What do you need to do daily to say, actually, this is, this is the source of my joy. It isn't if I get this or if this happens. It's who he is. Which situations are you facing that you need to be sustained by joy in at the moment? There'll be for some of us, we just know we're facing stuff. And for us, it's that knowledge that though the stuff might might not change, his love will remain. And then lastly, how will you be seeking to sow joy? Because this is a call to adventure. This, what, I don't know if you can start to see it. I, I get quite excited at this point. Because I think joy isn't something that I have to put on. Joy isn't something that I'm trying to think, oh, I'm going to be joyful today. It's rather something that the more and more I tap into who I'm tapped into as my source of joy, the more and more it can't help but seep out my pores. For me, I think, man, how exciting that we get to reveal the joy we know to everyone who comes in here to be part of us. Everyone we get to rub shoulders with. Suddenly, when you're at the queue, at the shop. I love queues at shops. Because then I'm there, I'm thinking, man, how am I going to spill out everyone in the queue? Lucy always finds it dangerous. And she's thinking, man, at some point you're going to get into real trouble. But I'm genuinely thinking, how's this going to spill out? My hairdresser, he saw me. Scott, we've had a long history. We know lots about each other. Great hairdresser. Luke Anthony, go there, rattle bomb round. There's a quick plug for you, Scott. Um, he's not a follower of Jesus. We often talk about Jesus. The thing that's perplexed him the most is he saw me once and he goes, Adrian, I don't get you. He said, I spotted you in secret the other day. I was thinking, oh no. <laughs> he said, and you were smiling. You were smiling even though no one was around. And I thought to myself, <laughs> one is, you're a little bit odd. Two is, you seem to genuinely believe what you talk about. All I was doing, I don't even know when it was, to be honest. I just was living, knowing, joy in Jesus, 
not coffee, plus me equals generosity. Can I pray for us? Then we'll end. Jesus, I thank you so much that the way you call us to live is so simple yet so profound. Jesus, that your longing for us is that we wouldn't try and be something other than what you've made us. And God, I just ask, would you cause us to live deeply founded in your joy, understanding that that will sustain and transform us, but also as we live out of it, it will transform those we come into contact with. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.